Good morning, church. You know, as we uh, read the Bible, there are things in the Bible that we wonder, why is this even relevant? But all of the Bible is important. But there are things in the Bible that are more important than others. Things that we need to listen extremely attentively in. We need to make sure that it's soaking in. And this morning, what I'm going to say is this. If you haven't heard or paid much attention to messages in the past, I want you to hear this one. Spent the week in mourning and in tears for the church, for lost loved ones in a lost world. The Bible tells us that it is appointed to a man once to die, but after this, the judgment. About 150,000 people a day leave this earth and meet their maker. Two people died this week or the last couple of days, one being Tina Turner, who was a legendary singer, and the other being Pastor Tim Keller, who is a pretty famous pastor and has written many marvelous books. Now, I don't know the condition of either one of their hearts. God does. But at the same time, we can always look at the fruit and someone's life and come to certain conclusions. But I know this, anytime someone passes away, especially someone of notoriety, someone famous, someone that we have heard of, um, you might have heard of those two people, maybe you heard one of the two, but in any event, there's always commentary about their life. And what it does to me each and every time is think about where are they right now? And if they could see what was being said, them being elevated, uh, their things that, the things that they did here, that, that we would celebrate and appreciate and, 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 and speak about their giftedness and what they're leaving behind. What are they saying? Are they saying, amen? All glory be to God? Or are they already in torment? Where they know this is it. And everything that I have acquired and all that they're saying and everything they're celebrating is nothing 
That's the thought that comes to my mind often. We're going to embark in a new series called Stories Jesus Told. And this morning's sermon is titled, You've Been Warned. We're going to find ourselves in Matthew chapter 22. I'll be reading out of the ESV this morning. And we're going to read about a parable that Jesus told. And I'd ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew 22 and the ESV, starting at verse 1, reads this way. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off. One to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Father, I always pray after we read God's word for clarity, that you would use me as your vessel. You know the tears I shed this week and the pondering of my heart. And I ask that you would use this weak vessel for your glory. We thank you, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit. By the power of your word that saves, Lord, that you would use the foolishness of preaching to do an eternal work in the hearts of men, women, and children. I pray this day, Lord, that you would do what only you can do by your spirit and through the power of your word. I'm your servant, Lord. Use me as you see fit this day. 
the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus tells us a story about a, about a great feast, but the king and his son, and this story actually represents God and Jesus Christ. It makes this feast a feast of supreme importance. So much the greater then must be the folly of those who refuse to attend. So, so we're invited to places all the time. And, and normally, uh, pastors don't get invited to a whole bunch of places because I, I don't know what people are doing at their parties, but <laughs> those that do invite us, for the most part, if it's on a Saturday, we can't come. Because how I view Sunday morning and, and what I think about how, what my day should be on Saturday. Every day is important. But, but on Saturday, I, I take that time to just be with the Lord for what he has for his church on Sunday. But depending on the invite, and don't get it wrong, anybody that has invited us and we said, no, we're not coming, uh, I, I view you as important. But if the king were to invite me on a Saturday, then I'd better make provisions and show up. I'll just call Pastor Angelo or Deacon Frankie or somebody. Hey, uh, can you preach tomorrow? So when I view the importance of this story and the king's son getting married and, and he invited those guests, what a special invitation for them to decline, especially as we saw in the story, the preparation there was great preparation. Imagine the preparation of king for his son at his wedding banquet. And, and, and recognizing, no, uh, this is not about this physical story, but it has deeper implica implications where we're speaking about God the Father inviting those to the wedding feast of his son, and all the elaborate preparations, and how much was needed to make ready the gospel, along with all its privileges. The festival of marriage of the lamb to his bride, the church. He has provided the bread of life and all the bounties of the gospel at the greatest cost possible. Jesus gave his life 
And, and this feast is, is a feast that would be filled with joy. This is a, a feast that uh, brings about fullness to the guests. It is a feast about fellowship with royalty and all the expense lies with the one who prepared the feast. Just come. My, my, my sister used to make a statement like if we were having a party and, and, and you came and you didn't bring anything, she says, you're walking in the door with your arms swinging. <laughs> if you carry it something, it needs to be like this. It brings something with two hands. All expense was laid on him. What an honor that the king of kings would invite you. How shameful if you were to refuse that invite. And, and they gave several reasons why the invite was refused. This was an important feast. This was the king's son. And when the king invites you, it's more than a request. It's a command. Come. They who reject the gospel reject the gift of God. It's insulting. Uh, imagine I think out something to give to you and I present it to you. And you say, ah. Imagine if it wasn't even something I bought, but something that I made. Yeah. Imagine what God is offering and our need for it for us to say, nah. It was apparent in this parable that this was like a reminder invitation. It, it, it appears that they had said previously They'd come, and, and, and now everything is ready. So often, we, we need to be reminded, like, no, you've been invited. We get busy with all of these other things. And then we see that busy with all these other things, that the excuse for refusal isn't valid at all. One went to his farm. One went to take care of his business. Like, we get so consumed with all of these things that when the king invites you to a feast for his son, you refuse? Like, what could be so important? 
And then others respond by hurting the messenger. The one who came on the king's behalf. That's just as much as doing it to the king. From this vantage point, I want you to know something. I can see you. So when you're dozing off, I see you. When you're on your phone and it don't look like scriptures because you're texting, I see you. It hurts. It does not hurt my feelings for me. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I put in the work. I got my sleep last night, and half the time I can't sleep, but I went to bed. I can't sleep because I'm thinking about y'all on your phone and dozing off. But it's what God has called me to. You're doing that in front of him. When you roll into church like when you get here, that you don't do that for your job, that says something. It's not offensive to the worship team, or maybe, you know, it might hurt their feelings a little bit, but this is before the Lord. You're showing what you think about it. So, when they refuse to come, he said they're not worthy, not that any of us are worthy, but he took guests from the highways. Fill my house. We will celebrate. And he took the vagabonds and the tramps and the beggars. Us. <laughs> I, I'm glad because I scanned the audience real quick. No one put, not me. <laughs> that, that, that. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That would be dangerous. Those that desire to be part of. What kindness, what kindness of God. That we would accept his grace. How good is God. And then the story takes this turn where the banquet is going on and there is one at the feast who doesn't have wedding garment on. All kinds of people were invited. Obviously, you just gathering in people in the text told us it was the good and the bad, but when they came in, they were fitted for the wedding. And, 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 and in a real sense, they were clothed with Christ. 
But one there had his dingy, everyday clothes on, believing that he could be in the king's banquet on his own merits and his own self-righteousness. When we get this invitation to the gospel, there's many ways to neglect that invitation. When we neglect the word of God, when we are absent from the church, I'll come once a month. Every other week. When we fail to take heed of the word and how it applies to us. Pastor Angelo used to always say, don't be a sermon-proof Christian. How often do we hear something, and ah, it didn't move me this day. Oh, I'm going to send this sermon to so-and-so. They need to hear that. Hopefully you needed to hear it, and it was so impactful in your life that you said, I got to send this to so-and-so because they need to hear this too. Not, not, not they need to hear this. And then we got to consider, like, who is the one giving this invitation? And the character and the condition of those that the invitation is given to. You, you're not that special. None of us are. But God chose to invite each and every one of us. What is the, the danger of the refusal of this invitation? What did it do in this parable? It provoked the anger of the king. For us, we would forfeit all the blessings of Christ. Him being our mediator and our sacrifice. We're talking about life and death. It shuts the door of mercy on the center. So, so I, have, I have two questions. The qu first question is, do you know what the Bible teaches about hell? And the second question is, do you believe it? That, that's a very different question. Jesus talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. And Jesus described it vividly on many occasions. Jesus said that it is a place of eternal 
torment of unquenchable fire. When, when, when I, when I, it also says that it's a furnace of fire. When you, when you think about a furnace, the walls, and the top and the bottom, just being engulfed in flames. Enclosed. And it devours, and it and fires consume. It, it is the nature of a fire to consume. And for the dam, it won't be annihilated. It, it, this is not some you're gonna go through this pain and then it's going to be over. It will never cease to burn. It will never cease to be quenched. I don't know if you've ever seen on TV a volcano erupting. And, and, and what it does. But your body is going to be made in such a way where you're going to be able to have all those senses and experience the full wrath of God. The Bible says it's where the worm does not die, where people gnash their teeth in anger, in, in anguish, excuse me, and regret. There's no return. The Bible tells us it's a place of outer darkness. It's compared to Gehenna. Jesus spoke about this where it was a valley where the public dumping ground was, where there was dead animals, corpses of criminals, and all manner of uncleanliness constantly burning. He, he was trying to paint a picture of what this would look like. A place of outer darkness. Imagine, never ever seeing the light again. He mentioned fire in relationship to hell at least 20 times. It says the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. And this would be the second death. A place of torment. The Bible tells us if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. And so often people go through, I'm at church, I read a devotional, I pray, I believe in hell there will be praying that they will be shut out from the grace and mercy of God. What else are they going to do but cry out to the only one that could save them, the one who placed them there where his wrath is being revealed? They're going to cry out. Unsaved people pray. The prayer that God hears first, save me, Lord. 
but at that point, it'll be too late. And for us, Hebrews 10 tells us, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, and that's the part that I'm concerned with for many of you. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a fearful expectation of judgment. See, because if you don't have the garments for the wedding, you will be thrown out. That garment is Christ. But a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversary. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified. And has outraged the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Why did, why did Jesus speak about hell? Because in church, people don't speak about hell often. Why did Jesus speak about hell? He spoke about hell because of love. He, he, he spoke about hell because he knew what awaited those that would not accept why he came to the earth. Of course, Jesus would speak openly and boldly and descriptively about hell. He came to save people from hell. I, um, I saw a movie and the, the imagery in the movie really affected me. It was a man sitting in a chair. And unbeknownst to him, the woman sitting across from him was hypnotizing him. And as she hypnotized him, once she had him, he was no more in control of himself. He was falling and falling and falling and grasping onto nothing because he was just falling into a black hole and everything that he could see, her face just started getting smaller and smaller and she was looking down on him as he fell. The Bible tells us many descriptive things about hell. One thing is that it's a bottomless pit. Once, once that happens, it's that. And as you're falling, and you start to smell the sofa, 
and the heat starts to come and you're gnashing your teeth and it's pitch black and the screams of the others being tormented. Anyone that ends up in that condition will curse the day that they were born. And they can cry, and they can plead, and they can beg, and it's too late. Imagine that for an hour. You know, it's like joy is one of those things like we can have a celebration and you won't, don't want it to end and it seems to go to by that quick. But when we're in pain, it almost seems as time stands still. But we always have a hope that on the other side of this, it's going to be all right, even if it's a long-term illness. But at this point, there's no hope. Like we sing a song that after 10,000 years of praising God, it would be like we just begun because it's never going to run out. That's the same for that person in torment. And we're casual about these things. It is a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. And it's not only going to be a physical torment. It's going to be a torment of the soul. When Jesus told another story with the rich man and Lazarus, he said, remember. Oh, you're going to remember. All the times when you slept when the preacher was preaching. When your mama told you you need Jesus, when that evangelist was trying to hand you a track and you didn't have time for that because you were going to your farm, to your business, or whatever else you were doing. You know what we say to ourselves? Tomorrow. It's the favorite word of the devil tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. When this guy said, life is good, I'm knocking down these barns, I'm going to build some new ones. But you fool, today your life will be required of you. And it's done. There's no turning back. This is the length of hell. A long time to be tormented would really hurt, but for it to just be forever. And imagine you're being tormented. I think about that story with the rich man and Lazarus. From the time that was said till today, he's still in torment. And it's as he just begun. And then one day, instead of him falling, instead of him burning, instead of him gnashing his teeth, he's going to be called up into the presence of God, and he's going to see things he's never saw before. 
And now he stands before God, maybe thinking, is there hope? State your case. Well, you know, I, uh, they hurt my feelings in church. I was busy doing this. What about that person? No. No. And at that judgment, it's going to be taken away by angels and cast to the lake of fire. And as he's falling into that pit, he's going to hear what he heard before, but it's going to be worse. What are we, what are we doing? Like, like when I thought about that this week, you might say, and that person burning may say, like, like, how? Why? Like, what is the reason for hell? When we think about the provision of God, it proves his love. It proves his grace. It proves his mercy. It would be consistent that if you were invited and you said, nah, that would be wicked and it's deserving of eternal punishment because that's what God said. It's proportionate to sin. The issue is we think sin ain't all that bad. That's the problem. We, we, we think, nah. And, and then we, we want to calculate all of these degrees and like for the most part I'm doing good and so what if this and that and that's not how God views it. You know how I know how that's not how God views it? Because he sent his son. If he viewed it that way, would he have gone to that extent? That shows the goodness of God. But you know how else I know that that God views sin in this way? Because look at the penalty for those that don't accept God's free gift of grace. Stop playing around. This is eternity. And guess what? In my prayers and in my tears, I'm like, I can't explain this. It's way worse than I'm telling you. I, I, I'm not skilled enough to really allow you to even understand a glimpse of what this means. But you've been warned. You've been told to the best of my ability. What should that do for us? Stop playing games with sin. 
recognize that God has invited you to the feast, to the banquet of his son's wedding. There was nothing that you got going on so busy doing to not drop everything. My life is yours, Lord. You can come up, Brittany. Jesus spoke about hell because he loves. The, the reason for hell is because we're guilty. God is just, but God has made a way. So you're left with two options. Stay in our state of depravity and be eternally punished. Or submit to the Savior. Like for real, for real. Not your religious habits. Not your casualness about sin. This is life and death. This is eternity. Not only should we be in awe that God would invite us, the king of the universe, but he called you to something. Not just, whoo, amen, close the door. No. No, people sitting in this room 15 minutes after they get out of here will go about their business like this was just a nice story he told. You might be feeling it now. But if I ask you, what was preached last week? Oh, some of y'all wasn't here. Be sober-minded. This is life and death. If you never remember anything that I've ever said, I have never cried so many tears in my life than what I cried this week. For you, for people in my own household, for this world. Jonathan Edwards said, it is the wrath of God towards those who have rebelled against his crown and dignity, broken his law, and despised both his vengeance and his grace. That's the reason for hell. Because you disrespected the king. You claimed not to be afraid of him and said, I'll deal with him when I get in front of him. And you refuse to accept his invitation that you don't deserve. He invited you from off the streets in the middle of your mess where he was going to have to give you clothes to come to the celebration. Don't say no. The doctrine of hell is uncomfortable 
when I was reading C.S. Lewis and R.C. Scroll and other people, they were like, the most uncomfortable doctrine is the doctrine of hell. But it's real. But understanding the doctrine of hell shapes our view of the gospel. Like, like some of y'all ain't jumping up and down and excited about being saved because you're not considering what you're saved from. You're saved from the wrath of God. It's eternal and is worse than I can describe. And you're not worthy and neither am I. That's something that we should be overjoyed about. And that does not only mean singing a song and jumping up and down in, in church. It, it is, my life is yours, God. I'm a vapor. I'm dust. And you came. And you died for me. So I would not sink and sink and sink and burn and have every thought in my mind about deserving this punishment. So when the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave, it was your way of escape that he gave his only begotten son one day, all wrongs will be made right. And we will see that all of God's ways are good. All the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his ways and unscrutable his judgments. If you know you're not right with the Lord, whether it's that you've been casual Or you realize, I'm on my way to that pit. Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Probably one of the most important sermons ever written. You can go on YouTube and check it out. I would advise you to do that. But he talks about how, how we walk on this earth. Not knowing when the floor is going to give way. You know, in construction, we're taught never walk on a piece of plywood, ever. Walk on concrete. Because your shafts, and you don't know if that plywood is nailed down or how strong it is, and you're walking on that plywood, if it gives way, you're going down floor after floor. I don't care if you're six or 106, you don't know when the ground under you was going to give way. He, he describes it as you being held by a thread. I don't care how well you take care of yourself. I don't care if you're 15 and you're thinking being saved is for old people. I'm going to experience life now. I'll worry about that later. You fool. 
You don't know if today is the day your life will be required of you. We're going to have an altar call. But I'm going to delay in praying. People need to come and kneel down and cry out to God because if you don't cry out to him now, if you leave here, if you leave this earth and you start sinking, you start falling, he's closed his ears to hearing you. Today is the acceptable day of the Lord. So while Brittany sings this song, make it your business to come to God and to pray.